So he was working on the space station, and this was the 60s. And NASA understood that as they designed this space station, and they were going to send people up in this rather small space for a very long period of time, that they understood that there was a concern of people's psychology. You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. And now without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. The quality of your environment directly impacts your success. Hi there, I'm Sarah Box, your host of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, where we're on a mission to help individuals teams and organizations, especially our nonprofit partners, to think outside the box and move beyond limiting beliefs. And we do that by sharing accomplished and inspiring guests who have challenged limiting labels and beliefs to pursue and accomplish both personal and professional goals. Today's guest is Carolyn Bolt, and she is the person who, who was responsible for the quote that I shared at the beginning of this episode. Carolyn is a holistic health and wellness enthusiast with over 40 years of expertise in the commercial interior industry. Carolyn's passion lies in the belief and experience that the environments we inhabit profoundly influence our success. And as I was sharing with her before we hit record, I had firsthand experience of that yesterday. So I'm going to be asking her questions to dive into that. But with her background in interior architectural design, she holds numerous certification and is a lead accredited professional. That's a lot of expertise bundled (laughs) up in one tiny title. In 2004, Carolyn, along with her husband, Scott, co-founded Crossfields, initially set as a design build firm in Atlanta. However, after only seven years, their journey took an exciting turn, and in 2011, they shifted their focus to promoting holistic health, and together they're on a mission to transform healing environments across the nation, thereby enhancing the image of alternative medicine. Beyond her professional pursuits, we get into what Carolyn really gets from her quality time. She has eight grandchildren she likes hanging out with. She engages in church and community activities, and she explores the world through travel and finds serenity while boating on the lake with her husband. She's a water baby. Today, (laughs) she joins us to share her insights into powerful connection between wellness and our surroundings. So with that, let me formally welcome Carolyn to the podcast. Hi, Carolyn. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm as I was telling you before we hit record, I've been looking forward to this. Um, but before we get into like the nuts and bolts of profession and the impact of that, um, could you share with our audience and me the link between your father's work at NASA in the 60s and your interest and passion for interior architecture? <laughs> I'd love to. Um, so some people are lucky enough to figure out what they love early in life and I was 14, and I always loved art and didn't know whatever I could do with that. I was only 14. I wasn't really thinking about it. But my father worked at NASA, and he was in the advanced preliminary design, which meant that they were working on things 20 years before the public knew anything about them. So he was working on the space station, and this was the 60s. 
And NASA understood that as they designed this space station and they were going to send people up in this rather small space for a very long period of time, that they understood that there was a concern of people's psychology. Okay, so they brought in an expert uh, who was working on his thesis, an architect that was working on his thesis, master's, and his thesis was the interior design of a zero-gravity Earth-orbiting space station. So he came in, he came from Florida, and he would come over and have um, dinner with my mom and dad and us, and then my dad and him would sit in the living room and philosophize for hours, and I would sit in there and listen, and I just became enthralled with beginning to really be aware and understand the subject that we're talking about is that space impacts how you feel. Space impacts how you behave, so thus it, it, it affects outcomes. And it can be, you can choose what you're going to do with that space. So they were concerned with people going crazy in these little bitty environments and what they were going to do with it. So it was really fascinating. But that's what that's what opened my mind to it. And then I went on to, to go to the University of Texas and study interior architecture. And, and I specialized in the commercial side because as the difference between interior design and architecture and residential and commercial is for commercial, it is not a luxury. It is, a, it happens and you can just be intentional about it to understand that that environment is going to impact how people, the return on your investment for that space, how people are going to act and how they're going to produce and how they're going to buy and how they're going to interact and all of those things. So you're looking at it not just from the people who work in the space, but the people who also come into the space. Both. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. So yes. you talk about the um, ROI of space, considering interior space. And we'll just focus on the business aspect of it. Okay. Um, otherwise, I'll go down a rabbit hole on all the other stuff. However... What have you found about the return on investment of time and thought in designing intentionally the interior space? So what we see, so we have, we have several things that we're focused on. One, we focus on the form follows function. Okay, so it has to function well. It has to be efficient and effective. And that in itself creates a either a, something sucking energy and time out of the people that are working there or adding to it, okay? So having that function is the most important. And then secondly, the form part or the three-dimensional space is where the real psychology comes into. And so, um, so, as you said, we focus on holistic doctors. And so their brick-and-mortar space will either attract and retain patients or not. It'll also attract and retain employees. So all of those things kind of, it's hard to exactly quantify, but we've been able to see that there's a 10 to 20% uh, revenue increase in most of the doctors when they, when they change over their space, move into another space, remodel their space, et cetera. So I'm thinking about the doctors I go to and the ones that have that kind of healing vibe, I'm just going to say, okay. um, versus just pure function right, where it's, you can tell like you're in there because it's a work, of, it's simple for them to operate it, 
but it is disconnected from you as the patient. Like it's almost like you're in this little track that gets you in one door so you can exit either a different door or the same door and get out um, versus that one where you're feeling um, surrounded by the whole essence of health. So when you, is there like a design trend, I guess is what I'm asking about what you're seeing now is most effective for how people are, especially post pandemic, you know, where we've got into this whole thing of distancing and is that too big a question? Well, when we design, um, just think of it as every doctor has a different focus and um, not dramatically, but subtly, right? And a different, especially in alternative health, there's a different philosophy and a different type of um, techniques, et cetera, that they would be working with. So we start with who are you? as a business, not as a person, but as a business, even though they're very connected together, yes. But as a business, who, what are you trying to portray to your, to your potential customers? Who, so think of it um, as the package of the product, okay. okay? So just think about the other piece of it is who are you trying to attract? So who is your ideal customer, patient, avatar from a marketing standpoint? and who are they and what do you, they need to feel comfortable to attract? And those two tend to merge together to create that. So, I mean, I can go in lots of different tangents and give examples, but um, you were saying you work in the nonprofit. And I don't know how often people coming to their environment is an important part of their business from the outside, but um, how they show up as people and you were talking earlier, how does that space show up for those people also? And is it does it add to what they're trying to represent or does it take away? Yeah. And a, the mission that I'm on is, especially in holistic healthcare, um, we started out specifically in chiropractic and it just kept expanding. But it's like the doctors get out of school and they don't think of this. They don't understand this. I mean, they don't know business. And I got out of interior design interior architecture school and didn't know business either. So that's not what it, school is all about. But saying that, just not really understanding this principle. Yep. So I do, I have a chiropractor I go to regularly and I think about the office she was in before she went out on her own and it felt, it was functional. I knew my way, I felt welcome there. I could go into whatever part of the building I wanted or needed to go into. But it also felt like it was just a space, right? So it was there to get a job done, but not necessarily make me feel connected to the whole. Now her new space is smaller, but I can hear the person on the front desk. She can hear me even when I'm back in a treatment room if I, if I need something, right? And the doctor hears the whole thing because it's small and intimate. But what's been interesting about it is you feel seen and heard without feeling exposed. And that's an odd I'm not sure if I'm expressing that well, but it also wow. feels very welcoming to be there. That's, that's right? awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That may be just inherent in the size, right, that you're talking about, which doesn't always have that opportunity to happen. Yeah. But that is, I wonder how intentional she was about that. But you said you feel, you know, comfortable there. I mean, if if you think about what that chiropractor is expressing and what she wants to be for her patients, um, that 
sounds like it meshes with her. It right? does, it's very much her personality now yes. versus where she was before, where she was like trying to fit into a different place. So here's her vibe and then here's the rest of the vibe. Okay. And so it wasn't a, a smooth fit. Yes. But, but, yeah. but that's interesting because you're just, it, so if you had, you made a decision to go to her, you made a decision to continue going to her, but I wonder how much more she's been successful because now her space is her and connected and you, she loses that negativity or loses that, the incongruency. Yes. She gains yeah. the congruency. Let me say it that way, that um, people feel that comfort and stuff. So, so that makes me want to ask. Yeah. Well, I, and I just, yeah, I've, it feels very congruent with her and her front office staff is the same way. You know, you walk in, you feel, you feel like family. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a nice feeling when you're going to see a, a healthcare professional. If it, someone is not just checking a box for you. It, it is. It's very helpful. It's very helpful. So yes, depending on what, but every, every chiropractor has a different approach. Right. So that comfortable family environment may or may not work for every chiropractor, right? Or every holistic healthcare doctor. Some, some want to be more cutting edge and clinical and things that, yep. um, you know, just, what are they trying to accomplish? Yeah. So I think that's a really valid valid point because there are the chiropractors like when you're traveling, you're out of town, you you need a chiropractor. They are more like just come on in, we can get the basics handled for you. No fluff. It's easy. And sometimes that's all you want, right? It's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Um but I'm curious when you start to work with a new client, how do you begin your process? Well, we um we we go through a process. I'm going to call it discovery because that's what a lot of people understand. We break our process down into steps. So we call it step one. And we basically, it's an interviewing process. They fill out forms that we have, kind of pre-created forms because they consistently have the same types of things in them. And then we take those forms. We actually also ask them to create, the forms would have a lot to do with the physical, functional space that they need, because we need to know that. But then we ask them questions like, who is your ideal client? What are you, who are you trying to attract? How do you want to show up? Those more, I'm going to call them more esoterical questions. In addition to that, we ask them to pull together, and this is really across the board in most design, pull together pictures and images of things you like, okay? And our goal is to get them, a picture speaks a thousand words. So when someone says, I want a comfortable environment, what does comfort mean to you? You know, show me examples of what comfort would mean to you. And then we spend time going through all of that before we ever meet with them. And then we spend time, we've got questions and we just an interview process. So we don't design anything until we can spit back to them. This is the essence of what I'm understanding from you. This is the essence of the square footage you need. And this is the essence of the image that we're looking for and it's um and then we can start to design so does that is that the yeah, that's exactly right yeah. um that's what i was wondering your process for because it's hard to know what someone wants until you do that kind of discovery piece. you have to yes yeah. yes and, it, and that starts to lay a foundation for your relationship with your client 
very much so. And it's a standard, I mean, in the design arena, whether it's interior architectural engineering design, whatever that is, even in um, digital design or even in graphic design or branding or any of those pieces, you know, the, the better the interview is, the closer you're going to hit what they want quickly and fast, right? So, um, and saves time and money in the back end. If the interview is good enough. So, and we go into it, one of the advantages that we have and one of the qualities that we give is because we're so niched, we do the same types of projects every day. So our experience of those needs and function and all of those things are very much heightened. We don't have to learn what they need. We know a lot of what they need. Not well, that everyone's exactly the same, but you get the picture. We Well, and then when 90%. one person, yeah, and one person wants something that's a click off, the next time someone says, well, I think I want this, you have an example. Like, yes. well, is this what you mean? Type yes. of thing. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it you, keeps growing. Yes. Great depth. Great yes. depth. Hey there, everybody. I want to take just a minute out of this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast to tell you that we are officially opening the Sandbox membership in September. So if you're not already on our mailing list, please click the link below to either sign up for the membership or get on the waiting list for the membership. And if you click the link, you'll find more information about what's included, what our plans are, and better yet, you'll be on early enough to help decide what is most important to you to experience in the first three to six months of the membership. So don't wait. Click the link below and join us in the sandbox where fun happens. We get to do a little R&R, little learning, support one another, and really grow and expand in ourselves, in our lives, and impact the world in a profound way. So come on over, join us. Yeah. Okay. So now let's go. I want to go back to 2011. Okay. So you guys started out doing design build. What happened for the pivot to go in this more holistic direction? So um, I have to take you back to 2004 because, yeah. well, 2003, I was on my own. And then my husband went to work with me in 2004. So we, we uh, formed the design build but my client and then became our client was Life University, which is a large chiropractic college here in the Atlanta area. And at the time, they were, um, they were really not in a good place. In fact, my job was to help them reduce space because they'd lost their president. It was not a good time for them. But I was a facility designer. So it just, that was large corporate facility design was my thing. And, um, then as the new president came on board, he understood that the quality of the environment impacts the success. So he, he um, employed us to help with all of these ideas and visions and projects and things around campus. And we started out, we only had money for paint, but um, because they were, but we, through that process, and that was 2004, so I started working together on the project. In 2009, we realized that Life University had become 80% of our clientele. And not that that was bad, but it could be. Do you know what I'm saying? So we started to go, okay, is this 
us. The other thing that happened in 2008, 2009, when the recession hit, we were like, you know, we are it. You know, we have staff, but everything comes through us. And so we didn't have a business. So we began to understand. We got exposed to the e-myth. So we want to start talking about business. We can go that direction. Uh, the Entrepreneurial Myth book by Michael Gerber and began to understand that we didn't, we owned our job. We didn't own a business. And as I said earlier, you know, we went to school to become an interior designer and, and architect and engineer, not learn business. We had to learn business a different way. So we started thinking about, hey, we what can we do to create a business? We were inside Life University, which gave us this awareness of the chiropractic business and their pain and their struggles and their, we just got immersed in the business of chiropractic by being inside the school as, as well as learning about all the techniques and all of those type of things. So just that learning process over those years. The third thing to mesh into this is we were already holistic chiropractic patients. And my daughter was healed of tonsillitis when she was three, two or three, she's now 34. And so I already understood what alternative medicine could do for you. So, all, you know, that, that passion, that need to have a different kind of business, being inside the school, et cetera, um, that was happening at the same time I had a, my chiropractor had a student graduating, opening literally around the corner from me. So I bartered with him to help him open his office and fell in love with working with the smaller entrepreneur as opposed to the big corporation I'd worked with for 30 years or 20 years, I guess, at that time. And so um, he gave our, my name to another student that was opening. And so in 2009, we opened, helped open two chiropractic offices in the Atlanta area. 2010, Life University asked us if we would teach a class to the students on what we're talking about right now, how your office environment impacts your success, and also on the process of opening an office. So we created a, a six hours worth of material, loved every minute of it, did it totally gratis. And so all of these kind of things kind of came together. And so when the chiropractors were asking us, well, can you help us? We're going, we have no idea how to help you. We're used to working on these big corporations, but let's, let's play with it and let's figure it out. So we created more systemized, now we call them steps, and we created systems, what we could put into systems. No two offices are the same. No two design is the same, but I could hire and I have, I don't even do design anymore. I have expert high-end, um, now I say high-end, high-level designers with a lot of years experience that handhold these doctors through their project and beautifully, just beautifully and create, you know, just a really positive experience using the systems we've created. So, yeah, it is possible to get to the point. Now, now my role is marketing. That's why I'm on this podcast. <laughs> well, it suits you. <laughs> but it's been fun. It's been yeah. an interesting journey. It's a, it's a, so I, that was a long answer to your question, but I hope that gave some insight to other it, people about you never know the path that's going to happen, right? Right. Well, and my takeaway from it is you guys just kept saying, yes, we can do this. Right. It's like, I don't know. We'll we'll put curriculum together. We'll we'll try it and see what happens. And that's such a powerful. Um, it's such a powerful pond to play in when you're trying to create a future. You know, you've got to be able to try and test things and see what works and more of less of 
But what a great opportunity to work directly with a couple of newer businesses to help them understand the business and the flow of their space, as well as get you guys in on the ground to get to see what it's like to work with a smaller yeah, very much practice. So. Well, yeah. and then the other piece I didn't really say is that um, we had to learn marketing because we had to go virtual. So we went virtual in 2011. There wasn't wow. really such a thing back then. and uh, But we knew there wasn't enough business through our market research to do this just in the Atlanta area. And because they're small and there's, you know, they don't need, there's not that many. So we knew we had to go national and now we're able to go global. And it's, that was a whole learning experience too of how to do this virtually. And then, you know, whether we like it or not, when COVID came, it became the thing to do. So all my staff is virtual. We're all virtual. And, uh, and yeah, that's how we do it. And what's it's possible. Been, what's been one of your biggest um, surprises of operating that way? Um, This is good and bad, okay? You really have to find the right talent to work virtually. You have to find a, tried to do it with um, the people that work virtually wanted to work virtually. Do you follow what I'm saying? Way before, you know, COVID happened. Yeah. So I think about, um, because they, like I said, we were doing it before COVID. So uh, I think that that was a big surprise. When I say surprise, having hired some of the wrong people was the surprise is what I'm trying to say, that they just weren't, it's a whole different, we were talking about that earlier, working at home virtually, it's a whole different mindset. Maybe not as much as it used to be because people have gotten more used to, but having, we were talking about the environment at home that they work in you know, and if they don't have it set up and they can't separate that from their personal life, that can interfere. And it's, it's a discipline. It's a discipline to be able to work at home. And it is. And then not, I was very, very concerned that people would, and I've always worked, when I decided to go off on my own in 90, 91, whatever, it was easy to work from home because I would just go on site with my clients. You know, that would be where I would I'd work home on the computer and I'd have it all set up and then I'd be on site. So I was coming and going a lot. And but just to be able to sit all day with just a computer and not go anywhere is a whole different. Yeah. So that's another another adjustment. Let me use that word adjustment. Yeah. And I think when our when the world around us changes, we need to change our expectations of ourselves. Yes. Right. So. I, I thought that was a great thing you mentioned, like you would be there and then go on site with clients, right? So that breaks it up. You're basically just out doing business as usual in that case, right? You have an office that you're working in and then you're out in public. That was before. Right. Now it's because our, our clients are not, they're not here. You know, they're in California. They're in New York. They're in, yeah. So I don't you've adjusted to that, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. That's, we started that in when we started it. So it it's an adjustment. It, I don't, where that goes is having found staff that they can adjust to that has been yeah. key. It is. And some folks get stir crazy being by themselves. 
and don't necessarily realize it's not that hard to reach out and connect with other people to collaborate with um, or just bounce ideas off. Um, so it's that whole, I feel isolated. Yes. You don't need to. And I, I'm just very, I can, all I can tell you is I'm very blessed that our whole staff, we have a relatively small staff of 10, but they're all connected personally to each other. To one another, so, yeah. Yeah. So we start our Monday mornings with a time of just connecting. Tell me about your weekend. How do you do? You know, what kind of, sh you know, it, it first, like the water, I call it the water cooler talk. Let's yeah. just get it out of the way now. And they stay keep connected to each other. Yeah. It's um, those little things really do matter. So I want to get practical. I'm going to take you out of the health and wellness and into okay. my world of okay. nonprofits. And they're and as many, they're all varied, right? And I've worked okay. with nonprofits who are in spaces that were never designed for a business. They were like maybe warehouses that have been converted or. Um, they were meant for professional offices, but now they're being used more collaboratively and bringing people in. So it's still kind of not, the flow is not there. But most recently, I've been working with a group who are in a space where they, by their own description, they've actually moved three people into another space, but the rest of them are sitting very in close, very close proximity. They can hear one another all the time. They try to be respectful. But the sense I got from them is that there's no rest in the from the information coming in. They can put headphones on and stuff, but it's still not a, an environment where I could say, okay, I'm just going to sit here and close my door for a couple minutes, right? So I'm wondering, are there some simple things they could do physicality-wise? Because I, I get the sense that their cubicles or whatever their structures are very adjacent or opposite one another. So if you walked into a scene like that, what might you suggest to that group or one like them that could help lower the intensity or stress level that is in there? And it's not from their relationships. It's just from the nature of the work, which by itself is intense. Wow. So, um, so I am old enough to remember the beginning of open office systems. Me too. And okay, and I worked with a, a large corporation in Houston um, as their facility designer right out of school, and they they started moving away from closed offices and into the cubicle environment, right? And this was the early cubicle environment didn't have even have any acoustical properties; they were just walls and stuff. The early Herman Miller stuff, maybe, and um, it, it was an issue then. You know, so it it noise control, sound control, things like that, you know, and and so as designers, we as much acoustics as we could get in there to absorb everything. And as much even if we could add white noise, if we could add anything, just to stop so there there may be sound happening, mm -hmm. but they're not hearing the words. Okay. Because when you're hearing the words, it becomes that multitask thing where you're switching do you know what i'm saying you can't really yeah. just block it out so anything like that that we could do and i mean headphones weren't really a thing then but i headphones and visually what people are seeing so those anything they can do to block the sound because it is distracting i mean having going through um you just having and having worked in an open environment years it's very distracting you're hearing what's going on 
and design studios, which when we started, before we started to go virtual, um, our offices, we had our whole basement built out and we had, it was built out as a design studio. And the good thing was you began to learn by osmosis what was going on with other people, you know, design situations and clients and things because you would hear them. But the negative thing is the pro productivity was struggling, struggling. So um, I don't know if you've done any kind of time, um, what do they call it, time? Time studies. Time study, time oh, management. Many, many. <laughs> yeah, so you know that that opportunity to have that super focused time where you really super focused. So I know that in the years um, before I totally got away from all the corporate, what they would do is they would start to have um, individual rooms that people could go in to have the private conversation or have the day that they're going to be just super focused where they could separate themselves from that environment. So that is a very common thing. And then, of course, you can go as far as like the Googles and the Amazons and stuff where they have playrooms, you know, where they have creativity rooms. And there's all kinds of philosophy out there in that workplace environment. But as far as your small group and stuff, every anything they can do to block the sound, to, to absorb, absorb the sound, okay, absorb the sound so that, um, and to mitigate the sound. In other words, uh, the, you know what a white noise does. It just basically, it keeps you from being able to, it's not, it's, you still hear, but it's not audible. You can't necessarily understand. So, or headphones, yeah. But to have a, to have a separate space, they need, sounds like they need more space. They have one or two small spaces. No, they've been pretty creative about how they can let each other know, but then they get, they try not to be intrusive. And part of it's communication, right? Saying, really, if my phone's on DND, it means DND. Do not, it means DND. It doesn't mean DND except for you, right? And I remember that when I was in my, and I had a closed office with a glass window, right? DND. Someone's standing at the window doing this. I'm going, okay, DND means DND. So part of it becomes that becomes a company culture. Yeah, yeah, that that becomes an expected company culture that needs to start at the top down. So the top doesn't think if they want their own comp. I don't know what the structure is, and whoever they are is listening to me, so I don't mean to criticize them. But I know that if I, in, especially in that open environment, if I didn't want anyone to interrupt me, and I would be in an office and I'd have the closed door and stuff like that. If I didn't want anyone to interrupt me, I had to respect and not interrupt them when they had their private time too. So, and setting those times where it's not private, so you can meet with each other. So what's really cool about virtual, it's really easy to get that focus time. It's very easy because you are alone and mm -hmm. you can shut off your, shut up all the distractions on your phone. You can put it on do not disturb. You can make sure your email is off and you can get that focus time and you can produce a lot more in a shorter period of time and and then still have that. But you're right. You don't want to be so isolated. Now, our, our team has, we use Zoom and we meet, our calendars are filled up with Zoom meetings, whether it's with our clients or whether it's with each other or, you know, there is probably more meetings on there than I want them to be, but <laughs> they do fill yeah. up with meetings. So they have that time. Yep. Um, okay, so now let's bring it small for our home office folks like myself. 
you've got a home office. Um, I want to reflect on one thing you said about it's easier to have that focus time. It is if you are good with setting boundaries and being uncomfortable yeah. when you um, when people want you to be different than that, right? Say, I'll be available at X whatever time. I think certain personalities struggle a little bit more with that. But what has worked well for you or for your team and people, other people you know, when they have a home office that helps them differentiate, I'm working from I'm available? Because like we were talking before about yeah. like that a little bit. Yeah, I um. I we were talking a little bit about having have someone who's been an employee a part-time employee of mine for several years and she has grown a family so she's become less and less time and her house has kind of outgrown her so what used to be her office got taken over by her husband when covid happened and then it got taken over by another child's bedroom and then it got so her she's got a little bitty desk now in the corner of her bedroom and we were having this conversation she's gone down to less than five hours a week but she was taught we were talking about her getting her hours back up because the child is gone and one of the things she said is it's just so hard to work at home and I said well yeah you're in the middle you're in the corner of your bedroom you've got a pile of laundry on your bed beside you you've got you know toys everywhere you don't have that that separation of space mentally that gets you away from it and also gives you the opportunity to to close the door and leave it behind so that it doesn't merge into your business. So I think it's, you know, if if you are going to work at home, that is a that is something you've got to really figure it out. And I know that, you know, I know that people during COVID just made it work, but you would see people, you'd have meetings with people and they were sitting on their bed, you know, working. And that whole you know, we got through it. I think the people got through it, but you can understand why businesses want people to come back into the office because the productivity is not the same if you don't have the setup for it to be the same. So that's yeah, you the key that before. you and I were talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. I For me, um, I leave my computer stuff up. And so when I travel, I'm just taking my laptop and a few things, right? But then I come back and I have to reset it up, which is not a big deal. But if I didn't have the setup here, I would be, it'd be really easy to be like you're in a hotel room and you're just doing part of it. And it's not as productive because everything is in a particular place where it's quick and simple for me to do that. So you're really talking about also removing friction, whether it's visual friction, auditory yes. um, process. Yes, yes. Um, yes, that's another, yes, removing friction. Yeah. Absolutely. Another way to make it. this easy. <laughs> so I wanted to ask um, what you've noticed. You know, like you've been a health enthusiast. You talked about that. But what are the products? And I don't mean like necessarily brand name products unless that comes to mind for you. But the, the types of textures, fabrics, those kinds of things that can also help promote a healthier environment for us. Because I know you're LEED certified. I am LEED certified. So um, if for people that don't know, that's, what is that? <laughs> what does it stand for? I remember uh, Leadership and environment, and, and I don't remember it right now. But uh, 
so ecology and environment, I think. Yeah, that it's on a wall behind me. I can go read it if I need to. But um, I don't use it a lot as a lead. I don't do lead jobs in the profession that I'm in now. They're smaller, and I did it a lot when we worked at the university. Um, it was more of a larger corporation, government. It's very expensive to become lead certified. Okay, it's twenty to thirty percent more cost. Period. To do that, it's very involved. It's very involved. There's lots and lots of documentation. There's lots of things to get all the, you know, you're you're basically creating a calculation and those numbers kind of add up to what level of lead you end up with. But the overall is that um, in the commercial environment, because of lead, I would say that 90% of the product in the commercial environment already is going to meet the highest level of lead that it can. So it's not it's not going to do the off-gassing. It's already going to be recyclable. It's already going to be sourced from something that is sustainable and some of those things. Because lead became so big for a while that if products wanted to be specified by the designers, they had to become that way. So it's that evolution of what is chicken and the egg, if you follow me. So when we design offices, we feel very positive that the products that we're putting in are not off-gassing. That's a big one. Off-gassing, you remember the old days you put in carpet and you would smell it for, for weeks and months and et cetera. So that the products are not off-gassing, the paint, the quality, everything that we can do with the finishes, it's really finish-oriented that we can touch. Um, there's, you know, the other parts of lead have to do with energy efficiency as not as much health, but, um, and then, you know, getting the other part about health that's really true is light. So energy comes from the sun. And so the more sunlight, the more daylight, the more environment you can get in, the more elevated, the, and I'm not going to say elevated in a, in a, you know, a fast-paced energy mode, not that kind of elevated, but just the whole, what is it, the serotonin and, and all those things that kind of naturally happen. So the more light you can get into a space, it's always going to create a more healing environment, which is really sad because a lot of these smaller doctors end up in strip centers, which they only have the light at the front. It's like, how can we get that light all the way through the space, that, that natural daylight? And there is, you can substitute some, you know, daylighting and stuff with um, the different types of light fixtures and things you use, but it's not quite the same. So we like to see energy there. If people, I see you have a, well, I don't know if that's a Zoom background or your real background, but you, plants, green plants produce a tremendous amount of health benefits to the environment. And I mean, yes, dead plants don't work, but <laughs> so we've always got those those plants that I've got a brown thumb with plants. I go too bad because you know the the plants really have a you know they're not just aesthetically pleasing; they actually are um, producing a healthier environment. So those are some little things yeah. that we talk about. Yeah. Well, sometimes those little things are a good place to start. Yes. You know, just thinking about okay, what's like so right now. I, this is not my background behind me. Um, thankful, I wished it were. But when I see this behind me, I, I'm calmer because okay. it's pretty clean. But I've, I actually have a window that I can look right out and see a big pine tree and stuff in my front yard. Um, but the sun's pretty bright right now, so I've got it blocked. 
However, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you was about lighting, because I know that it really does affect some people more than others, but all of yeah. us, to some degree, just the natural lighting. And mm-hmm. so, yes. and then do you recommend folks who have maybe a limited lighting use certain light, you know, the light bulb spectrums to offset that? It, we like to use, so I don't know how much you know about light spectrums, but there's there's light color, there's a color of light, it's called Kelvins. And the higher the number, it, you get into 5,500 and something, you're closer to sunlight. Okay. And it's whiter light. And there's also a thing called um, it's CRI, color, color rendition index. So those two things, the higher those are, the closer it is to sunlight and to that positive energy. Those bulbs tend to be more expensive. It just happens that way. And LED can, you know, LED can change, but not, they have to be set up to go that high. You yeah. follow what I'm saying? There's a range that they go into. So that's, that's one. There's one that I believe that are kind of in between that gets a little wonky and it kind of gets blue green light. You know, it's not as, it's not as, it's not as crisp. Um, but then you get all the way down to the warm light. So the warm light would be the ones that are closer to the yellows and the ambers and things like that. And that produces just a comfort. So when you're talking about people that, you know, if you have an environment that you want to create hominess and comfort and things like that, you want to typically go down to those, the lower Kelvins, like the 2300s and the 2700s and stuff. Um, but yeah, playing with those colors and the light fixtures can, do a lot for your psychic, for how people react in this oh. space. And well, overall, the brighter the space, the more energy. The darker the space, the lower the energy. Makes sense. Bedroom, it get it totally dark. You know, you're, all of those things. Those are things we talk to um, you know, our doctors about. Color and lighting are the two biggest, most inexpensive things you can do to make, to elevate your space. And um Using color, there's a whole psychology of color, which we could go into, <laughs> but um, there's that light effect. It's not having that wash of light in your environment, but having some variation of light creates interest and it creates um, experiences as people go through the spaces and things of that sort. And that's a fairly easy thing to do. Well, especially if what you're talking about is light and paint, right? Light as and a starting point. As a starting, as a starting point. point, yes, very much so. And the, the thing with paint is that it's the most ex- inexpensive way to decorate. So not that you're going to paint it. You have to be careful because, you know, wonderful, bright, beautiful colors, use them sparingly, right? Because they can overwhelm. So it's that type of understanding how to use the paint and how to use it. Um, but we can take, we would, especially um, startups and things like that, that we would just, choose some of the rooms and just paint them you know a dark color because we wanted that to be more intimate you know and things like that that or we just have accent walls and things and then paint's cheap so you know when it it will date colors date everything dates in seven to ten years there it you can't it just does but paint's an easy thing to change when it dates so that's another benefit to using paint yeah, and it it does change the whole energy 
we just had, I mean, we've been putting this one off probably for 10 years, right? New carpet, paint upstairs, and the guy who's doing it for us, I'm thinking I am so overwhelmed with work. I do not have to, I don't want to look for carpet and I don't want to look for paint, but I want it done my way. <laughs> you know how that goes. Yeah. So anyway, great contractor. My husband says, you have to pick out a carpet and you have to pick out a paint. I said, by when? He says, Paul brought you some samples, right? This guy's brilliant. He already knows the house and how we use it. And so he only brought me things that would fit, right? So I think I had maybe like 10 things to look at for carpet. And he goes, if you don't like any of those, he'll bring you more, but you don't have to go looking. I said, great. So he said, anything in there? I said, there's two I like in there. I like them just fine. And um, he said, okay. And he says, what about the paint? And I said, okay, I'll, I'll go and look this week. And he goes, no need. He'll bring you some that go with those. Oh my gosh. Uh, he brings me very limited. So here's the psychology of too much choice is paralyzing. Right? Oh yes. yes. So it's like, stay in, these are the carpets you like. These will go with them, right? Tell me what you like. And if you don't like these, I will bring you more. So, um, and he's coming by anyway to work on some other things. So in the, in the, I'll share this with you real quick since we went there in the design process as a designer, when you're going through the, we, it's kind of like you go high level and then come down to the details, right? So when you're in the high level place where you're looking at pictures and things of that sort, you start with color schemes, yeah. okay? And you never give more than three. Ah, ever. No wonder he's ever. brilliant. Ever, ever. <laughs> and so you give three and then you narrow that down and then you may take the one that they've picked and you may do a couple of more variations of it. But you're but, already in that field. The only time that we do more than three is when we have, there, there are some clients that just feel like they need to see everything or they enjoy that very much and want to see everything. Do you follow me? I do. So, so and that can become challenging. I mean, I remember a client um, that we had that had just, she had this image of the tile she wanted on her back wall in her head. And the poor designer must have gone through hundreds of things to find this image. And she, every time she went anywhere, she had this particular vision. Sure, if you do have, I mean, if I had a particular thing I had to have, I would do that. I would go, I'll get back to you when I have it. But I yes. didn't. And so yes. for someone to make it so simple for me. Absolutely. And you're looking at the colors I would have picked anyway in my Zoom background, right? So there I'm already go. in my head. I'm going, it would be something similar to this. Yes. But after he painted upstairs and he said, man, I really like those colors. They're so something. I don't know what he said. My husband, I don't know why we waited so long to do this. And I'm thinking, I've been asking us to get on this for a while. But it was, but I think the main point here is that it doesn't have to be as overwhelming. And when you have someone, a professional like yourself on board, it, it doesn't even have to feel overwhelming. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And with that, it's the job of a good designer to read the, the client and to go with the guidelines, I said. Yeah. But there are clients that, um, you know, that want to see a lot. And you can tell pretty fast. And then there are clients that just, you pick it. They just like, you pick it. And tell me <laughs> what, what I like. Think? Yeah, what do you think? 
this is I'm, I, I love the ones that say, I think I'm colorblind anyway. So you just pick it. <laughs> well, and I know my husband is colorblind on some colors, not all. And he goes, yeah, that's a beautiful blue. And I'm going, yeah, except it's gray. Okay. <laughs> um, but it, it's like, he likes it. Yeah. So I, I'm going to wrap this, but I want to ask you about what you're reading now, because I found one of the questions I like to ask guests is, what are you reading? And you told me in your response that you're reading User by Dr. Josh Wagner. Are you, did you finish that yet? Or are you still I have I've read it multiple times, actually. So the story is, is that Dr. Josh Wagner was one of those three or four early chiropractors we did work for and 2009 and um he went on to uh he he were he was going to open in charleston and decided no he's from new york so he went to new york and got like 200 square feet in manhattan and opened and then he became more of a coach if you'd understand what i'm saying and so he developed this um he began to understand that people's success has to do with their mindset, which most coaches understand. But he started to talk about the, a, a deserving principle, which goes into, do I really deserve this? And so he has this process that he takes you through in his book, and then he's got audio stuff that actually walks through kind of clearing stuff you're not deserving and things like that. Up. So when he first wrote the book, he reached out to us, would we be one of the first people to read it? And so we read the manuscript and loved it. And that was, I don't know how long ago it was. But it's one of those books that I just go back to about once a year. And I just happened to have gone back to it when you asked when that questionnaire came back. So yeah, I love it. So it's it's yeah, it's a it's good. It's a good reading. Well, I always like to know what people are enjoying reading because I'm a voracious reader or audiobook listener. Yes. Depending yeah. on what's what. Yeah. But when I looked the book up, I thought, wow, this sounds really great. And it sounds like it might even be a good gift for folks over the holidays, you know, to read. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very, yes, I'm an audible person. So it's an audible thing. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, it's a thing. It's an audible it's, thing. It's an audible thing. So. Yes. I, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. I really do. Um, I know you have something for our guests if they want to know more about you. Have a little gift. What that is? Sure. Um, so if you go to our website, crossfieldsdesign.com forward slash listeners, it'll take you to a page for our podcast listeners that um, we have one of our free resources called the five designer five point designer checklist, and it literally is a checklist for someone in an existing situation, whether it's your home environment or a business environment or whatever, that will kind of look at the first five things we would look at on your on needing refreshing or updating. And um it's set up like a checklist so that you actually can check through it and and our first recommendation is that you don't do it by yourself. You find a trusted companion if you're if you're in a business, the ideal person is someone that's just like your ideal client and have them walk through with you and go through this checklist with you because we get blindsided or we get numb to the environment around us and don't see what other people see. And um, so, so yes, the designer checklist. So join on over and it's just 
hopefully it's a benefit to everyone. It'll be a benefit to me, I can tell you that. So <laughs> thank you so much, Carol, You're for welcome. being a guest on the No Labels, No Limits podcast. And folks, if you like this episode, please rate and review it. Be sure to share it with someone else. I can't imagine there isn't somebody you know, maybe yourself, who wouldn't benefit from listening to Carol's advice, her experience, um, and also grabbing that checklist. So be generous, share the podcast, rate and review. And until next week, have a great week. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic business coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. Please remember to rate, leave a five-star review, and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Till next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.